This is the War Room Roundtable podcast, the show that takes you around the world to share interviews with some of the most successful and relevant businessmen and women on the planet, hear their stories, and get the most important business lessons they've learned on the road to success, and get exclusive advice on how to implement their successes into your life and business. The War Room Roundtable is brought to you by your hosts, Jason Miller, CEO of Strategic Advisor Board, and Philip Llanos, CEO of Own the Rhythm, and former podcast host for Entrepreneur and Inc. Magazine. Welcome to the War Room. We are pleased to have you here, Ellen. Uh, we were actually before we even hit record, we started getting into something really good. And yeah. I think it would be nice to just go into it while it's still fresh in your mind, as opposed to going the way we usually do, because I can okay. ask that later. But first, you said something super important about the four different cycles, mindsets uh, yeah. that entrepreneurs go through. Please break it down just because they need to know right away. <laughs> okay, cool. So there's a, a cycle naturally that um, entrepreneurship goes through if you're going to come out with a product or a service, right? And um, and there are styles that each of us have that we sort of prefer as parts of the cycle. So um, some people, and this is the smallest percentage globally of, of people, are what we call generators. Only 16% in North America of professionals are generators. And they're the kind of people that gain their um, they gain their information from experience. So they're out there talking to people, they're noticing things and so forth. And then what they do with it is they use it to come up with ideas. So they've got a million of them and they're the ones that come in and say, you know what those guys are doing over there? We could do something like that. Why don't we do that? And so, and, and you know, they, they keep coming, they're an endless store. And so, um, they'll give you some data and some facts about what they noticed. But then you have to figure out, well, what could this be? What could this mean? And that's where we come to the phase we call conceptualization. And people who are conceptualizers, they're more abstract in the way they learn. You know, they're more the thinker types and they're the dot connectors. So you bring in all that information and they pull it together and said, you know what I think this means? I think this means we ought to have something that does this. Or I think the strategy we ought to have is this. So they are the ones that create solutions. And be, what they do with their abstract information is they also create ideas, right? So this is sort of the right-hand side of the circle. But not all the ideas are good. They're just a whole bunch of ways they think the solution could wind up, all right? Um, if you stop there, you have wonderful meetings. People have a great time. They go out and say, this was fabulous, and nothing happens, right? So it's got to move into the next phase, which we call optimization. And people who are have that optimization preference, they're also abstract, and they're, they're kind of the thinker types. But what they do with information is they evaluate it, Okay. And so now they're taking in the information and they're thinking about what you've had to say, and they're developing criteria by which to judge the ideas, right? So they might have, what resources do we have? Is it the right timing in the market? Is, um, um, will we be first to market? 
Um, is there low hanging fruit? You know, so we decide which are the most relevant criteria for this. And they just want to really get an, a really good idea um, figured out that's practical. And then they're great at planning. So who's going to do what? Who's going to take it to the next phase? And they, they love that part. So we got a plan. We've got people mobilized. And now it goes over to implementation. And implementers um, are people who are, again, practical experience oriented. And they use their practical experience to evaluate what's going on. So these people tend to be your salespeople because they're going to go out and get your idea accepted. Who do I need to get on board with this idea, right? And so they'll adjust the way they present to the people who are there. Um, and then there are the implementers, uh, the, the part of implementation that involves just getting it done. These are the people who please give me something to do. Let me check it off my list. Um, you know, let's do it is really sort of the, or uh, we're on it is sort of the mantra uh, of the implementer. And so by the time you get something implemented, some new whole new things come up, right? There are new issues with what you've got. So you start the cycle over again. But there's a, a couple of things. And so if you've got people who are too much on the left side, and we talked about the right side people, let's talk about the left side people. The left side people are really taking what is and improving it, but they're not looking for new ideas. So this is where continuous improvement lives. Somebody once said to me uh, recently, they were using a baseball analogy. And so on the right side, it's sort of like swing for the fences. And on the left side, it's Singles and doubles, right? Uh, how do we hit singles and doubles? So the risk is in, and, and so there's whole industries that are maybe more right side or more left side, right? And so on the left side, when you've got optimizers and implementers, you, you, you'll do a lot of things, right? But it may or may not be the right things or it'll be an improvement, but you won't have brought in the new thinking from the outside. You won't be thinking of different ways of formulating it and so forth. And so those industries typically have a hard time with innovation, right? Now they may call in uh, a generator because they know they need to move. And I've been in some situations um, in which I have, so I do selection testing also. And I've had um, situations where they needed to select the CEO, but the industry, one was construction, was totally optimizers and, um, and implementers, and they weren't keeping up with their peers in the marketplace. They weren't. And so we consciously, with all other characteristics being equal, brought in someone who was a conceptualizer. And um, it was really interesting because conceptualizers and implementers conflict because implementers just want to do it and they don't want to hear all your ideas about it, right? And they don't want you to stop them until you get the thought just right. And so um, one of the things we had to do in coaching was to help him stop and ask what we call the central question of value creation. And that is, um, what choice can I make and action can I take in this moment to create the greatest net value? So it's not just about me and what I want to blurt out or talk about. It's what what's really going to serve this situation. And that sort of uh, helped him um, stop and think 
And he said, because if I go to a project meeting and these people are very efficient at how to get this done and I start throwing out some conceptual ideas, he said, that's a really good way of not getting invited back to the meeting. So there's a, a place where your style fits, but you, you, know, you can overdo your style. Um, if you don't know that there's a fit, you may miss having all four representations on the team. And then you can have, you know, you can have problems. So for example, I was working with, um, you know, a startup that was pretty far along. They have a really important product to bring to the marketplace uh, for people with, um, who, who are suffering mental distress. And um, I got a call and because the, the venture capitalist um, had, had called me and said, why don't you talk to Ellen? And so I listened to it and I said, well, what are the issues you're having? He said, well, we've got conflicts on our team. And I said, oh, okay. Um, and he said, yeah, we did a personality test and we debriefed that and that didn't work out so well. Uh, so I don't know, you know, I really don't know what to do, but it's really hurting us that people are kind of sniping with each other. And I said, well, can you give me an example? Like what would be an example of sniping? He said, well, one of the, the chief leaders was in a meeting that someone else facilitated and she really didn't like the way it went and the outcome. So she made that known. And now there's this sort of chilly distance between them. And so as I listened, I thought, hmm, this sounds like they don't have a comprehensive process for their problem solving if people are criticizing the process. So I described briefly the cycle and the four different um, stages and, and perceptions. And he said, yeah, let's, let's do that. Let's, let's figure out what we've got. Because he was now starting to guess what different people on the team were. And so we did, there were only eight of them. We did the assessment and sure enough, what we found out, no one on the team was an optimizer. So they were into what you see a lot. And, and in some cases is important on entrepreneurial teams is rapid prototyping, right? Got an idea, try it out. Got an idea, try it out. Well, you've just missed two parts of the cycle, right? So some of it's gonna work, but some of it isn't. And how much resource are you gonna put into it? So what they missed was the whole criteria and planning side of it. Um, and once they saw it, it made sense. One of the people had secondary pre uh, preference for optimization, but said, you know, uh, look, guys, I don't want to do that for very long if I have to be the one that draws the short straw on this. Um, so a lot of times people in finance um, and there are other occupations, too, can be optimizers. So what they were going to do was be very careful that the next hire they made into finance also had that optimization preference so that the team would be balanced. And now they, they're really clear about it. They have their meetings that way, and then they know when they're going to, let's save all the ideas, and we're going to put them into optimization later on. So I'm sorry, I'm, I'm getting off on No, 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 no. This is, one of the things I've learned when it comes to podcasting is that when an idea strikes and there's lightning, there's fire, let it run, specifically because it is inspired by the moment. And inspiration is like lightning. You got to catch it in a bottle when you can. Because you may have said this a million other ways before, but you never said it the way you said it this time. 
And so I wanted to make sure it was recorded, regardless of whether or not it fit whatever predetermined format we had in mind. But with that said, what I think now is going to lend a lot of weight to what you're saying is if we do ask the questions that we know now, people are going to, that we usually run through the show with, they're always different, but yet somehow the same, right? Uh, But I know that it's going to only emphasize all the information you just laid out, because anyone who comes in on that and hears that is going to be all ears, just like Jason and I were. I mean, it was just valuable stuff. No one should get in the way of whatever you just shared. You know what I mean? So, so yeah, I mean, you just, we just solved the whole world's problem. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, you're, you're, you're entrepreneurs. So how do you relate to the information? What comes up for you? Does it speak to your experience? Jason, go for it, man. <laughs> it's, it's process, right? Everything has a process. And when you skip the whole process part of it, it's, it's pretty much you just take process, right? It, it all, it looks very much the same. We just attach different names, right? So you call it one thing. I probably call it something different, right? So we just put a little bit different sure, names sure. on it. But, but if you don't have that, it's impossible for you to ever find any kind of success because you're then just in muddle mode, right? That's what I call it. You're just in that muddle mode, and you're just trudging through the mud every day, trying to figure out how do I get out of the next pile of quicksand, right? And if you would have just had a process, you know, I, I wrote this morning on LinkedIn that business plans are garbage. Business plans are for, they're for investors and bankers for businesses to get money. so you've got to i'm not saying don't have a plan that's not what i'm saying but most business plans if you would go back and look at one you wrote five years ago it's going to be so far off of what you 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 intentionally visioned so just have a process that gets you to each phase and to each waypoint so then you can do the next jump so um i think that is what's key for people to take away from what you said is that right there. It's a process. I was going to say, you know, some people think that innovation and creativity is just throwing ideas at the wall, Mm. you know, and the whole idea that there's a process for it um, doesn't seem right, but it's a process that allows creativity. And the other thing about this process, and I think a tip that a lot of people may instinctively know, but it's hard to practice, is in each step of the eight steps, we first diverge and get everybody's ideas out about that issue. And no one's allowed to comment until all of them are out. And then we have a process by which we evaluate the ideas. But what happens too often in meetings, and I know you've seen it, I've done it, you've done it. Somebody comes up with an idea and immediately we evaluate it. (laughs) that's a good idea. I don't think that'll work. This, you know, and so the really good ideas are never going to come out and people are going to be very careful about what they say because it really doesn't feel safe. And so you've got your, your, your foot on the accelerator and the brake at the same time. (laughs) And if people just knew how to defer judgment, we call it deferring judgment while they come up with all their ideas and no evaluation. And then afterwards, there's a process by which you can bring them down to the critical few. 
that they want to take on to the next phase of the process. So I think that's that's one thing. And kind of related to that is the whole idea of killer phrases in an organization. And we have a whole list of what are some of the <laughs> But um, that's a good idea. We ought to have a committee for it. Um, <laughs> well, we tried that before. I, we tried something like that, and it didn't work. Um, and if that's such a good idea, why hasn't somebody else done it? I mean, you know, there's a million of them, right? Yeah. And so you got to stamp out the, the the killer phrases as well. I see. It, it's almost like uh, at a fundamental level, anytime someone brings preconceived notions and has made decisions before they've even heard the entirety of a, of a current situation and, and, and really taking stock of the whole view, they're... Right they're making a decision based on limited information, limited input, sort of like being in a relationship and your partner's trying to tell you what they believe is a problem that could solve the dissonance between your relationship. And before they finish, you hear them say something that they're bringing up as a point of reference. And right away, you begin to evaluate and judge that instead of hearing the whole statement, which only serves to hinder the progress of you mending the relationship, right? Exactly. It works in so many places. No, oh, I think it's brilliant. I think it's brilliant. And I, I want to get behind how someone like you has come to be with a question that I love asking everyone. And I think it's worth asking now is do you yourself come from like a family of entrepreneurs, consultants and things of that nature? I came from a medical family. My father uh, was an internist. Now, I guess, you know, I never thought of it this way since you brought it up. He started the first coronary care unit in the state of Iowa. He had a partner and, you know, he had been out listening to things and so forth, found out about this new thing. And, you know, we would keep his dinner at night warm because he was out teaching people external cardiac resuscitation. So that was, you know, I guess you could think of that. Maybe I'd never thought of it in that way. Um, but no, and my mother was a nurse and um, my first job was in a county hospital carrying bedpans and doing all kinds of things in those days. <clears throat> um, and in that scenario, if they thought you could do it, they would assign it to you. So some of the things I did as a nurse's aide probably would not be allowed today. Um, and that became my really portable skill wherever I went, you know, I went to graduate school and needed a little more money. Okay, what's the, what's the nearest hospital? And I'd go and volunteer myself and I always had work. And and there's an interesting background to you. I mean, you're literally a clinical psychologist, right? PhD. Right. And and yet, while most people would have been happy with just that, you, you went into entrepreneurship and consulting and helping venture capitalists and businesses all across the world, really, like level up. And it's weird because most people say academics don't know anything about business and vice versa, right? Like there's this little tug of war for the most yeah. part. Not that, not that I buy into it, uh, yeah. but- it, it is there. So how did you reconcile such a paradox in yourself? Was it just natural to you? Because, I mean, you see now we're, we're learning that you yourself had a father who was out there lecturing, right? And, and your mother was was in a field where, like, you have to know terminology. Like, you, you have to know stuff to be in those fields. There's no doubt about it. And you're growing up in that environment. Was it, and you're in school taking jobs. But at what point did you decide, yeah. I'm going to do both okay. or I'm going to go into business. It happened on a soccer field. 
So my kids were playing soccer. It was November. The parents are all shivering. And so one of the parents comes up and he had just been downsized and he knew I was a psychologist and so forth. So he said, Hey, Ellen, you know, what's up? I'm, I'm, I'm at this outplacement firm and they've got these great psychologists there. And I said, what's outplacement? And so he told me how they helped you find a new job. And I thought, Oh, that sounds really interesting. So I started networking because as a clinical psychologist, one of the things I was known for was giving a variety of tests to help figure out what was really wrong when it was complicated to figure out, then they would send them to me and I would give a variety of tests. So I thought, huh. So I went there and got the job as a uh, psychologist career assessor for this global outplacement firm. And about the third time, so it would be me, it would be the um, the person who was sent to the outplacement firm, and it would be their counselor, their strategist. And so I would give the, the lowdown on the tests, and then they would use that for the strategy. And after about three of these, and I was winging it, so I knew enough about my other tests that I just extrapolated, right? And she said, you're really good at this. I thought, huh, well... Maybe I'll, and at that time, there was all kinds of things with managed care going on and so forth. And I thought, this is really fun. You don't have to find out what's wrong with somebody. You can help them find out what they're really good at, and that can lead them to a whole different career. So I really enjoyed that. And that made me go to, a, I called up somebody from graduate school who had started a firm of psychologists who did organizational development. And I said, you're the only person I know who's doing this. Can I come talk to you? Well, a year later, I'm full-time in this organizational development firm. Um, and meantime, I've also, when I was in college, because I have this incredibly uh, Germanic uh, maiden name, Gutenkauf, I had gone over to Germany as a sophomore and gone to an immersion language school. And then uh, right before I came to graduate school, I had an assistantship in the clinical psych department at the University of Munich totally again through networking, crazy a whole story over a beer sometime. But that, that was really, really fun. And so what that eventuated in after I left the consulting firm, because I was just, I was no longer interested in the day-to-day -day selection testing. I, I needed to do something more. And at that point, I'd taken a course in um, motivational language. And um, I called around and was networking. Uh, at this global firm where I'd met some of these people and said, oh, is he coming to the, is he coming to the um, meeting on coaching? And she said, no, he isn't. And I listened to her and I said, where are you from? And she said, well, you notice my accent. I said, yeah, it's, it's almost like German, but not quite. And she said, well, I'm from Sweden, Sprechenji Deutsch. So we started talking. She said, oh my gosh. She said, you don't realize in three weeks, we have to roll out this frontline leadership program over in Switzerland. And we don't have anybody from our side to do that. You speak good German for an American. Here, let me have you call. So my head at this point is, is just, <laughs> just. So the, the long and short of it is um, um, I wound up later on through that experience and some others also doing some work uh, overseas with some, some consultants in Germany and Switzerland. So um, that's been another part of this. So I think it's the looking for, I think what's always there is looking for something new. And so over the course of my career, 
it's been like, oh, that, te- you know, that would explain something I haven't been able to explain so far. So I'd learn that. And then I would learn another one. So pretty soon I got to the point where there are so many of these that my question to people is, what do you need to know? And then we'll pick out what assessments will get you there. And the same thing happened with coaching methodologies. And what really started interesting me um, about four or five years ago, I went to a neuroscience, uh, neuro, um, neuro leadership program, and we had breakout sessions on training. And at that point, I was some, doing some training with a colleague of mine, a German colleague. And this guy next to me talked about Legos. In tra- I said, Legos? Well, turns out he was from Denmark, and he was the co-author of the book, Building a Better Business with the Lego Serious Play Method. So I thought, well, now, does that sound cool? And I said, oh, my gosh, if that does what I think it does, then that's a way of getting rid of all the dysfunctional dynamics when people are working together because they have to do it through their Lego bricks. So I learned that and um, was doing that. And it's a huge fun thing to do. Um, And at one point, um, one of my instructors said, you know, I think the people you need to see are these ambassador folks, and they're the ones with ambassador applied innovation. So that took me um, over to them and learning this methodology. Um, And I think the thing I started to realize, too, is that as organizational psychologists, we help people with a lot of things, but rarely do we help them with the competency of innovation. What does it take to be more innovative? What does it take to help your culture? be more of an innovation engine. So that's that's what's really sort of fascinated me in the last couple of years. Yeah. No, there I mean, funny, we started our conversation on the idea of curiosity and how that went about. And if there's one element that I think most entrepreneurs have in abundance, regardless of where they sit on any side of the the cycle, uh, is yeah. curiosity. Is that that's the fundamental element. So it seems like in your journey, business called you. You know, it, it really does seem that way. Uh, but before I go any further, like I, I have business experience, but I know for a fact, Jason himself has been, I managed multiple businesses while he was serving a military career, but has continued to do so for many years. So I feel like I'd love, it'd be a perfect opportunity to match all the things that you just said up against someone with the breadth of his experience in terms of business, because it just makes so much sense. Jason, please. I know you've got thoughts on this, man. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. The pathways that one thing leads to another, to another, to another, to another, to another, and how we like go through this transition of not, not just like business ownership either. Like yeah. we, we go through these transitions in business, but then we, the business goes through the transition, but then we trans transform as business owners too. Right. Yes. Because yes. we get exposed to these all these different, uh, you know, pathways of, of, of how we can grow businesses and scale them and who we can be a part of here to help this. And then that's the pieces and you plug this Lego, no pun intended. Um, (laughs) you plug this Lego in here and then this Lego in here and see what happens. Well, that didn't work. Well, maybe we need a red one, right? (laughs) Not a blue one. Right. And then, so it, the interesting thing from like a psychology standpoint 
is that in order to level up a business, we have to level up ourself. And then in order for us to level up ourself, we have to level up the business. So it's like a perfect marriage, right? Between business process and all the little Lego pieces that have to get plugged in to create the mighty tower of scale. (laughs) So, so, you know, we can repackage that in about a hundred different ways and say it a bunch of different ways, but, but at the end of the day, you know, I always look at it as if, if we're not level up, isn't the word I'm looking for. Like um, I'm using it because I can't think of the other word, but, but if, like elevate that's a probably a better word right okay. so if we people have to elevate in order for our businesses to elevate too and vice versa right because business is relationships and you know it's like people you you often hear people say stuff like uh well I'm not the smartest person in the room or th- those kind of things well hopefully you're not <laughs> <laughs> I don't yeah. ever want to be the smartest person in the room, right? Because that yeah, means right. that I'm not going to learn anything. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. yeah so. You know, you bring you bring up another uh, interesting point. One of the ways I've started thinking about this leveling that you're talking about mm-hmm. is I call it B by three, value by three, the three layers of value that an employee can bring. And um And there's, you know, assessments and coaching with each one of these. But the first one is what are your natural talents? Like, what are you naturally good at? To find that out, we have an assessment that's like taking a three-hour video game to see what you're really good at. And a little bit like the ASVAP in the military. Mm. Um, But then also, you know, what are your personality styles? What are your interests? What are your values? And so when people are really clear on that, that's the that's the value they can bring to a number of roles in a company, right? Um, but a lot of times we have things that you alluded to that can get in our way. So we've got below conscious thought patterns that we developed early in childhood to protect ourselves, and they can really get in the way of our expanding, as you were talking about in business. Like we don't want, we don't not want, we we need to be liked. Or we need to be the smartest person in the room, or you know a number of those things that drive us and really get in the way of being as effective as we could be. And so there's this uh, assessment called the the value quotient uh, profile that shows 36 ways of thinking and whether you're right, um, whether you're wise in that perspective or you overvalue or undervalue it. So basically. Um, you can see what are your below conscious biases that get in your way. What are your assets that you, your wisdom that you need to get to, and how do you transition from your biases to your assets? And that opens up a whole different way of thinking. We call that self leadership, and so that's a whole way. And that that I think of as the second level. And then the third level is what we've been talking about with Bassiter, because that's when you problem solve together with other people and you solve enterprise problems. There's there's something fascinating happening in this conversation, right? Like I kind of you mentioned, there's the primary and the secondary preference. And like, for example, I I, I, 
I would I would say for myself, I'm definitely a conceptualizer first, right? Uh, whereas I believe without a shadow of a doubt, well, Jason has no problem conceptualizing. He's an optimizer. He's like, how do we get this to market? How do we get it out there? Hundred percent, hundred percent. And it's 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 funny to see that. And then I'm curious yourself: Are you a dot connector? Is that is that where is that where you live, or where, where would you say you are? Yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm pure and simple a conceptualizer. I move into generation periodically because I will get I I'll talk to somebody and they'll say, "Oh man, I need to know that," you know. Um, <laughs> but um, that's why when I go in, I want to know what do you want to know. I try, listen to all of it. Nice. Like, this is what I think would be helpful. Then. And it's always about and it's from being a psychologist. It's it's diagnosis first before you just start to do something. So right. yeah. I had this one sales guy that was on a team with me and he was uh, we had book club together. So he was sales, but he had, you know, he had then become sales manager and sales director. So he had to think in a different way. And that's what happens when conceptualizers get together. They have book club. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, that reminds me of this. Yeah. Story of my life. I, everything I know is about, let me reach into my bag of things I've read, seen, heard, and how it fits to, no, I think it's really interesting to see that because there's, I feel like there's a reason why Jason and I work so well together, even on this show and, and when what we're doing is because it's a very complimentary uh, side of the table situation. And so I, that's why I'm so grateful that we had the chance to have you on here, even just to break a lot of that down, because again, it might be packaged a different way, but People need to hear it in different ways to eventually let it settle in. And I believe exactly. that you have optimized the explanation of it in a way where it's both fascinating, rich in language, and yet at the same time, hard hitting and to the point, which I know didn't come easy. And I imagine you take a lot of time and effort to make sure you're clear about what it is you're saying and how it relates to what people are experiencing. And I'm not surprised that you do the work that you do. So for me, if you had the chance to go back to speak to your younger self when you were moving around with the bedpans and, you know, trying to figure out where your life was going to go, knowing what you know now about life, what would you have said to yourself when you had no idea what the future held and you were just doing the work that you were doing? Yeah. You know, I used to think that I would tell myself to be more strategic because clearly I wasn't. I was opportunistic all the way. And yet what I see in people is they try and fix too soon on what they ought to do. And I have to tell them, particularly when I do career work, look, here's some general outlines of what you like. Um, but there are a lot of ways this could play itself out. So have some more experience. Um, I, I really, I would, I would say continue to stay curious, I guess, which is what I've done. The other thing I would say is, is don't be afraid. Yeah. Yeah. If you've got it, don't worry about all the dots connect or if someone else thinks it's, it's a little too crazy. Um, just go for it. I write little parodies for people's birthday parties and so forth, too. So that's that's my other creative outlet. I love it. No, I, I mean, it just seems like you have the one thing that I see most entrepreneurs who are successful have, and that is boundless energy based off the curiosity uh, that you are just in love with what you're doing. And it's, yeah. it's a, it's a thing that I see in all entrepreneurs that are successful, that thing that people say, Oh, that's eccentric. No, that's just passion. 
for what yeah. they're doing. Yeah. And, and I see it. I see it. It, it. Boundless. It's a perfect example. And to add to that, a heavy career in academics that lends itself to reinforce a career in business and entrepreneurship and helping people spot things. Right now, do you yourself often, just out of curiosity, based on what you talk about, do you yourself often op, uh, partner with optimizers and people who actually push things oh, yeah. out? Oh. <laughs> That's the very best thing. Um, the most the most joy comes from co-creating with a client, right? And if you can uh, find people that you know uh, help you. Well, I have a virtual assistant, right? And she helps me keep things on track or takes care of the scheduling or will help wow. me build the PowerPoints and those things. And she's been just incredibly valuable for the last 15 years. Yeah. I have suspected that I need to. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> and my husband's an optimizer. He's a psychiatrist. And so, and he's, he says, our, our three kids have lots of stories they can tell. Um, but his statement was, if you're a doctor and you're not a little OCD, you're probably not that good. <laughs> oh, That's wow. Funny. No, I, I love it. Um, I, I a few a few things that I want to get to. Uh, number one is I want people to know, like, do you have your tests available? Is there some like, how can people get a hold of you to learn more about the stuff that you do and to figure out if they can access some of these assessments, maybe even work with you, all that? Sure. Uh, one way is to call me, um, 314-995-6825. Um, you can look me up on LinkedIn, Ellen L. Moran, PhD on LinkedIn. Um, and then my website, Leadership Dialogues. And um, although I don't have, I, I um, haven't got someone to help me optimize my website. So a lot of the things I'm doing now aren't, aren't necessarily there. But you can um, go to info at leadershipdialogues.com. So those are the different ways to, to get to me. Love it. Okay. And then uh, before before I go on, just in the interest of time, because I have a few things I'm interested in, but in particular, I want to make sure that I also check in with Jason and see where he's at. Should we be rolling out to the grand finale? Or because I feel like I could keep talking to Ellen for, for all, all day. Yeah. <laughs> this, this needs episode two. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's that. Oh, yeah, we haven't even, we, there's so many things that we haven't talked about that would be yeah. fun that I could geek out on a little bit with you if you're interested <laughs> yes wind, no. wind her up and off she goes <laughs> yeah no because the stuff that you're talking about like for me it's like reminiscent of like edward de bono or alfred adler and like sure. being able to understand the moving pieces that aren't necessarily set in stone and yet at the same time creating a creative boundary through a concept to determine how to organize the pieces together like at a really abstract fundamental level and it's the stuff that i love like this is i yeah. didn't even know you could do that in business i until just speaking to you because i'd always suspected if i didn't if i didn't go down this path of like i never wanted to be a life coach specifically because i figured like number one i'm, I'm young right <laughs> no one no one needs to say we've had this conversation <laughs> a number of times on this podcast about these 19 year old life coaches it's just not it's not a thing yeah. you know and I always wanted to go to school specifically for that. I didn't get a chance to, but I, and I, it's never uh, too late, but I definitely, you know, it's like, it takes a long time to get certified and be a clinical psychologist, you know? Oh, a, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, 
But there are there are coaching programs that are rigorous that don't require you to have uh, an advanced degree, and you can still be very helpful to people. So the one that I talked with you about um, about the um, understanding your biases and your assets um, that's called axiogenics. Um, and you can find it on the web, axiogenics.com. And we have a number of people certified in that. We have CPAs. Uh, they use it in their business to help their clients. Um, we have people from, you know, a number of, um, of life situations, professionals. Um, and what they share, though, is a wish to really be helpful. And so if you're someone that likes to think deeply, and it's great for a conceptualizer, oh, this is a party for a conceptualizer. So don't think that you need to get a really advanced degree necessarily. Um, if you really like that, it, it's more important that you figure out what kind of coaching is going to be best for you. And that, that really speaks to you, speaks to your experience and feels like it builds out from your core. That's what I always say to people, build out from your core. See, and this is a perfect example of what entrepreneurs can expect if they decide to create an engagement with you to be able to level up, as Jason was saying, because if there's any thread that followed your journey is that you were always willing to learn more. You were, you were a lifelong student and that in itself makes you more and more valuable to more and more people. And that's at the end of the day, what entrepreneurs are here to do is to be more valuable to more people. Uh, so for me, you are the true spirit of entrepreneurship embodied. Uh, and, and, you know, everyone has a similar story, as Jason always says. Uh, yours is a really fascinating one where you were just hungry for more. And, it, and I have a feeling just having a conversation with you, it, you're just getting started, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I got I got a few other fascinations uh, to take care of, too, which is seven grandchildren and three children. So <laughs> there right on. Uh, so other, you know, other people are, are thinking about maybe stopping. I'm feeling like I'm just coming into my prime. That's that's what I'm saying. Entrepreneurs have that in spades. Whatever you think you knew about them last week when you talk to them, you don't even know what's coming up this week and what they're working on. And that is what entrepreneurship is about. That's that that hunger. Before I go to the grand finale, and I hesitate to do that because I know we're going to need an episode two for this. I want to check in with Jason and just make sure. Are we are we good on that? <laughs> yeah, I'll just say I tried retirement three times, didn't work any of them. So there you go. <laughs> My husband who still goes, he said, why would I want to stop being a player? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yes <laughs> he loves what he does and is really good at it so he said you know and, and he sees people around him and retire and he said why would i want to do that why would i want to stop being a player and someone told me that the thing about business is uh you can you it's the one sport you can keep playing as long as you can stick and move <laughs> that's, it. that's right so it's true no, I, I'm I'm so happy uh, that we got a chance to chat. And there's actually some things we'll talk about after the call that I, I 
someone else we met that I think would make a good connection. Uh, but with that said, I want to reiterate, you said leadership's dialogues, leadershipdialogues.com is the one place for sure people can find most of your links. And even though it's being optimized, that's at least one place they can connect with you. And then you left your number, right? Right. Okay. Right. And, and so with all that, if, uh, if you could have invited anybody to sit here today and join us, uh, based on everything you just talked about, who would you have loved to have had here and why? Well, I guess I'll stick with what I thought of before. And it just popped into my mind, but it was Nostradamus. Because right now we're going through so much that's uncertain. And you would really like it if there were someone who could tell you what's ahead. And I guess the other thing is there was a um, some kind of divine inspiration that he had. He had a very special gift too. But, you know, with all that's going on right now, I'd love a little clue about what's next. <laughs> Yeah. Thank you for speaking for all of us who are just like, hey, and that's the thing about business, right? It's easy to keep your head down and not even look at what's happening in the world and just take care of your business. You know, in LA, I just literally drove through an area that I knew predominantly was like well-to-do Beverly Hills, because I live way on the west side, like out by like Manhattan Beach. But when I started driving through the Beverly Hills area, like the Beverly Center and the Grove, which some people may be familiar with, there are now homeless encampments everywhere there, too. So it's bad enough. I see the social media and what's happening. But I have it looks almost like downtown now. And downtown L.A. is notorious for that. And it shook me to my core because I hadn't driven out since the pandemic. You know, the world is definitely in a place. But then if you listen to the conversations we're having here. That's not slowing entrepreneurs down. And every day they're doing their best to impact people, to make the world a better place by creating jobs, creating value. And I just want every entrepreneur to know, including yourself and Jason, like what you're doing, even if you've already knew it, you need to hear it again. You're doing a lot for the world without even looking up to see that you're doing it. And I know that you know that, but I also hope that you all understand that again today. Seriously. Thank you for that. Thank you. It's it's, a lovely conversation. Yeah, no, again, we're having an episode too. Uh, But with that, I'm going to let Jason roll this out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, obviously there was so much good stuff in this episode, right? I mean, if you didn't, if you didn't take something out of that, you're a moron. Um, <laughs> it's just, it's just... For, for sure. For sure. You just weren't listening, I guess. I don't know. But uh, there was a lot of really, really good little chunks of things in there that anybody could take and apply right now today and make an impact. So hopefully people were listening Thank you so much for sharing, just leaving it all out on the field here today with us. Uh, And uh, it just never ceases to amaze me, the energy that people bring to this show and don't guard anything. Just leave it all out on the field every time. Well, that's, that's also testament to the two of you in terms of how safe you make people feel. And the questions you ask that really kind of open the aperture for people for little pieces to spring out. So it, it doesn't just happen that way just because we come in this way. It, yeah, it's uh, yeah. it's a co-creation, right? Yes. That's, that's very true. Very true. Yes. There's three three pillars here, right? Yes. So there you go. 
It's funny <laughs> enough. Yeah, but, I do believe the, so. The fourth is Nostradamus because he wasn't <laughs> right here yet, right? So there you go. <laughs> There's very spin, nice. spin <laughs> on that one, right? Anyway, well, yeah. Ellen, thanks for being Bye. here again. We appreciate it very much. Um, and uh, you know, keep keep uh, keep on keeping on and and keep doing good things out there for the world. I'll do my best. <laughs> cheers. All right. Cheers. cheers. Thanks for listening to the War Room Roundtable with your hosts, Jason Miller and Philip Lanos. Please leave your feedback and visit strategicadvisorboard.com to get the latest and greatest business advisement on the planet. Follow us on social media for updates. And always remember, if you can dream it and believe it, then you can go achieve it. We'll see you in the next episode.